Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we are delighted to welcome back to the podcast, Catherine May. She is the author of the runaway bestseller, Wintering, The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times, which has been translated into 25 languages. Her new book is Enchantment, Awakening Wonder in an Anxious Age. Catherine lives by the sea in Whitstable, England. Welcome back, Catherine. Thank you for having me. I, I was just telling Margaret, I think I'm a friend of the show officially now. Oh, that's <laughs> absolutely. Returning champ, as we say, our returning champion, Catherine May. No pressure. This is one of these books, Catherine, that you read and you just nod along on every page. You start the book exactly where I'm starting this interview in a place, what you call post-COVID numbness. Take us through what that is and how that manifested for you. Yeah, it was a funny time, actually, because on one hand, I was like really ready to go back out into the world and, and I felt like my brain couldn't work properly without seeing other people. But at the same time, I had this strong feeling that I didn't want to return to life as it was and that pace of the real world felt unbearable. And I, I think I was really stuck somewhere in between. Time just didn't work for me anymore. I didn't have that same desire to go out. And all my rhythms were out. You know, I was, I was just out of the habit of leaving the house. And we had such a hard time getting used to it. And then this is what happens when we try to get back, right? That there's a pandemic hangover, which wasn't just when you couldn't leave the house. I mean, you said you couldn't read a book. This is exactly what I identified with. I want to read a book. The book is sitting there. It's a good book. I'd love to read it, but I can't read a page without reaching for my phone or staring dully into space. Why do you think that happened for so many of us? Yeah, I mean, I just felt like my attention glanced off everything I tried to focus on. And I, it seems to me that's a, a sort of artifact of fear, that we're afraid of this stuff that's kind of coming for us. And, you know, some of us it touch more closely than others. But there's this constant sense that if I haven't got my eyes on the news, or if I haven't got my eyes on, you know, where my family are at the moment, then I'm not safe. And I don't know that they're safe. And, you know, if you think about it in that context, it's not that surprising that we found it so hard to do something more gentle, like reading a book or, or watching a movie. We're in this constant state of urgency and almost physically looking over our shoulder all the time. Yeah. And as a sort of combination to some degree of urgent boredom. It's a very 
pervasive anxiety, but a very kind of diffuse anxiety, too. It's not the anxiety of tomorrow is the biggest exam I'll take in my life, which at least has an action feeling. This is kind of a kind of overwhelming yet very passive anxiety. There's no real action to take in response to it. And for me, that staring into space, I don't want to do anything feeling very much came from the nature of the anxiety, which was sort of everywhere, but very hard to grab onto at the same time. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Yes, exactly. It's kind of diffuse, isn't it? And I think for loads of us, it's rolled on into this period now. You know, we haven't let go of that sense of threat because we've kind of, we've learned it on a cellular level now. And, you know, I don't think it honestly just came from the pandemic. I think we were already living elevated levels of fear and this sense the world is is changing so much and is so unknown to us now and is frightening. It's really significant, isn't it, that just as we were coming out of a pandemic and beginning to emerge from that, the war in Ukraine kicked off. And it's almost like, I mean, God knows what that's like for Ukrainians, but even for those of us who are very far away from it and very protected from its effect, there's this sense of a collapse of the world just grinding on and it, and it not getting better, it, it becoming more and more menacing. And yeah, and then of course now we're beginning to look at pandemics of other things. I mean, we could do without avian flu, frankly. Yes, thank you. No, thank you, avian flu. <laughs> I said to my mental health professional, like, I definitely had that feeling of when the movie, like the shipwreck person gets to the shore and I looked up and it was like, war. Again, very removed and protected from it, but it felt like when the pandemic's over, everything will be okay. And then it just felt like, nope, we're rolling into another very uncertain time. I do look back on the puzzles and the movie nights, and we were sort of putting on a brave face to make our families feel safe. I mean, I was very frightened. We had serious COVID illness in our house. It was terrible. But the puzzles were nice, right? In a way, Maybe because like it was real and it was active and it was happening, easier to find the silver lining. This is something different what you're saying afterwards, right? Like I haven't done a puzzle in a year now and I kind of liked doing puzzles, but I can't do puzzles. I can't make myself do it. Like we've survived it and now comes this weird static in our brains all the time. So like, why does that happen after the heart? Because like, things that we did to make it better were actually quite exhausting in themselves. You know, they didn't come naturally, really, did they? They were they were a big act of organization to often try and make stuff okay for like isolated older parents, you know, doing kind of Zoom dinners or to make kids feel safer. But I think decomposed over time and the will to do that organization just felt more and more effortful. I mean, I tried to set up a like an online movie club with some friends. And I think we watched two movies. And after the third one, we were just like, no, let's just not do this again. Let's just do it separately. <laughs> we did one. We did exactly one, my whole family. And then people were kind of trying to talk. And it was like, wait, what'd you say? We got to pause the movie. It was a mess. It was a mess. It's really interesting, I think, to reflect on that now. I mean, obviously, the pandemic isn't over, but that acute phase is. And it seems to have done something permanent to us. And I think for some people, that's trauma. But I think for other people, it's about changed habits and really fundamentally changed ways of living. And at the same time, this kind of consciousness that we don't want to go back to exactly the same as before. And therefore, what? Like, what now? What do we do if we don't have a pattern to follow? And that's part of that drifting lost feeling that 
we're all quite haunted by it. And I think even in a practical way, I live in a commuter town outside of Manhattan, and it used to be 7.30 in the morning, the cars filled up the lot, everybody went to the city, they came back, and then the, on the weekends, we would ride our bikes at the parking lot because nobody was there. And we now ride our bikes there Wednesdays. It's empty. People have really changed the way they live their lives and people are also making tremendous adjustments still having a spouse at home. And is that good or bad? And working from home? And is that a positive or negative? I think the reckoning of how much things have changed, we're not dialed in on as much because we're like, okay, that happened. And now we're all moving on. But when I look around, things are very different than they were. It's been a source of big conflict as well. I think that you know, people not wanting to go back to the workplace. I know a lot of people have ended up in conflict with their managers over that. And I don't know about you, but my house now, I don't have a very big house. I mean, my household's very full. I've always worked from home. So it's been my domain in the daytime and I love that. Uh, but now my husband's home too, which means we've lost another bedroom. And so everything feels very packed in, you know, that's stressful. But it's actually distracting too. And I think we're all getting less personal space. And I, from all the people I know, I think a lot of us are still dogged with ill health after the pandemic too. You know, we might have had COVID or we've had one of these other, you know, massive diseases that seem to be passing through us. All our immune systems don't seem to be what they used to be. And, and like literally everyone I know this winter has had thing after thing after thing after thing back to back. And I, I'm hearing from so many people like I haven't felt well since September and that's normally delivered with a hacking cough and yeah there's stuff going on that I don't think we're really talking about in the mainstream and we haven't acknowledged the burden of grief that is floating among us that was never fully expressed during the lockdown phase and which now is the time has passed for it but of course it's still absolutely present in the people that have lost someone in the most traumatic circumstances. We're talking to Catherine May. She is the author of the new book, Enchantment. There is another way to live. At least Catherine thinks so. And we're going to talk more about that when we get back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. 
Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. So Catherine, we know we're soaking in it, as we like to say in the States. We are bathing in this feeling. And you lay it out so clearly in the book, but you started to get curious about what's the way out of this. Is there another way to live to cut through the brain fog? And how did you even sort of develop that question for yourself and then start to move through it? I think I got to a point where I absolutely had to. I'd reached such a a stopping point that I knew I needed to do something. I also knew that my resolve wasn't very good about it. And at some point along the line, I put a post-it note above my desk that said, go for a walk. Because I'd realized I'd had this insight that I was struggling to get out from under my desk. Like even when I didn't actually have something to do, it made me feel like I was being productive to be sitting at my desk and staring at my laptop screen and and like maybe looking at Pinterest endlessly, which I do occasionally still engage in. (laughs) Um, but, But I realized that I had to change my habit really. And I needed that initial impetus. And so one day when I was just choked with anxiety, I saw the post-it note and I was like, right, come on, you left a message to your future self. Let's go. <laughs> you know, sometimes you've got to listen to your own advice, haven't you? And I'd gone to the effort of, uh, of writing it down. So yeah, so I walked up to the top of my town um, where a new village green has been established. Our town is growing. And so they've made this new space. I was curious to see that they had installed this stone circle. You know, Britain is full of beautiful ancient stone circles, but this is our newest one. And I wanted to go and see, go and visit it, go and see what it was like. 
and I'd been there before. So yeah, I was just curious. I went up there not expecting much, but actually changing that space, changing that habit had a huge effect on me. And I ended up taking off my shoes to walk barefoot because I just, I needed to sense my environment a bit more. And it set me thinking about how we worship these days, you know, like how we we don't really know what to do anymore. We don't have a place to go that we feel part of in the way that perhaps our ancestors would have done. But instead, we're, we're reaching for something. We're reaching for a new practice. We're reaching for a new way of understanding life. And I think that set a lot of this book in train, really, just having that experience of getting outside and knowing the effect it had on my body, but thinking about that bigger question of like, how do we make space for our minds to roam in now and, and space that feels joyful and comforting and stimulating and opens up reflection. In talking about the nature of the pandemic, what I loved about wintering was that it's okay to find this cozy space. I think for me during quarantine, I really enjoyed the locked down of it for myself in terms of I am free from expectations. I am in my little circle of trust with my five people who I feel safe with. And then I think in a negative way came down, down into literally like I'm physically rounding my shoulders over my phone, over my Twitter, over my doom scrolling. But that felt safe to me. That kind of hunched over, closed in posture of quarantine was really pleasing to me in a way. But not really good for me in a way. And this idea of like opening back up and finding something that is outside that is not scary, that is wondrous. But I think that that process has been really challenging for me. I liked that tucked in altogether feeling. It sounds like you were doing lots of monitoring as well. It sounds like you were watching lots of different people and lots of bits of news around the world, which I think has been almost a substitute for feeling safe for us. Or somehow it's like a self-stimulation of safety. Like if I'm the person keeping track of everything, I will not be hurt by anything because I will know where the tanks are going and how the pandemic is going. And if the avian flu is going to be that I've put myself in charge of huddling over the news and being the keeper of that for everyone. Uh, yeah, the watcher or the keeper of that world is such a truth. I think a lot of us have come to believe that if our eyeballs are on whatever situation is making the world feel afraid, that it will be okay as long as we're watching it. But of course, you know, our modern news media just gives us 24 hours a day of so much to watch. I don't think we were set up to process this amount of news. I mean, even in previous war times and certainly previous pandemics, we would have only got the news once a day from a newspaper or you know, even until recently, TV news was on at breakfast time and, and mid-afternoon and that was it. That was the end of it. That was all the news that you could possibly find. And in between, you were free to not know about the news. <laughs> and now we can just watch. And we can also watch on social media as people are telling us their personal news. You know, like I watch so many unfolding tragedies, but it's, but you said about that shape of your body as you did it. And that's so significant. You know, we were all rolled up into these little balls around our phone and our shoulders were hunched over. And, and when you're doing that, you can barely breathe. And everything was constrained. You know, Enchantment is such a book about re-inhabiting my body after a long time of 
being uh, a whole lifetime of living in my head, actually, like not just the pandemic, just existing in my head. Because the physicality of opening your body, your belly, your chest is vulnerable. That's literally like a dog rolling on its belly to get scratches is saying, I trust you because I can open my body moving and talk the way you talk about kind of moving back into the world. It involves that vulnerability and it was helpful for me to recognize. Enchantment is small wonder magnified through meaning, fascination caught in the web of fable and memory. And this makes me think of playing in the backyard as a small child and saying, you know, this is my treehouse and this is my den. And Margaret's daughter was very uh, sure the fairies were part of her life, right, for several years. You know, just that sort of anything can happen and possibility. And it sounds very unachievable, right? It sounds to me coming to this very like, oh, yeah, I did that when I was seven. But that's for somebody who's seven. That's not for somebody who's 47 <laughs> and, and has, you know, important grown up things to worry about all the time. I'm tired. Right. <laughs> but is that what you're saying? Like we need to get back to that in a directly childlike sense or is there something else? I think we knew how to do it as children. And what we often miss out on is letting it grow with us because actually returning to that same childlike experience of wonder isn't enough for us as adults. And actually... What we need to do when we're, yeah, in our 40s for sure is make more complex meanings that take in all of the dark stuff that we've just talked about, actually, that acknowledge it as part of life and weave it into our understanding. And that's sometimes comprised of like very simple experiences, you know, like holding a stone and, and just enjoying the beauty of that, the beauty of the stone to your eyes, but also how beautiful it feels in your hand. Like it can still be very pure and simple, but it also can be full of other stories. And that's what kind of interlinks us to mythology and to, you know, the, our knowledge of the landscape and our knowledge of our local area and the other people that we know. And I, it's about finding a way to play as an adult in the way that we could play as children, but transposed up to adulthood. We definitely need that much more nuanced understanding of the world than we once would have done. The idea that you talk about that wonder and enchantment does not have to be sparked by grand things, that sometimes wonder feels like it only lives at the edge of the Grand Canyon if we can get our budget together and save up and go there. I'm directing a play right now, and I was at the rehearsal the other night, very dingy, dark room, and I was thinking of the book while we were just sitting there doing this run-through, just the power of 16 people trying to tell a story together in a room. It just, I was like, this is it. This is enchantment. This is wonder. It's not only that I have to go to the top of the Empire State Building and take in the wondrous view of the five boroughs. Amy says this all the time, right? It's like gathering information. You find what you're looking for. Having just read the book and sitting in this very dingy room with these, you know, not well-dressed actors and just the wonder. I was like, here it is. When you're looking for wonder, it helps you to find it. Yeah, I think I, that really nails it for me. And there's that sense that we can kind of, the enchantment is like a holiday that we have to buy our way to, you know, and it's expensive and it's once in a lifetime. I don't know about you, but I've had so many underwhelming experiences at places that are supposed to be extraordinary. You know, I can tell you visually, they're going to look nice in the photos, but they've left me emotionally cold, actually. I think that's because 
we put so much weight on stuff that's really distant rather than going looking for that sense that we need every day. And it's funny to me because like one of the contrasts, I think, between how I experienced this as a child and how I experienced that as an adult is that as a child, I hated those kind of thoughts that made me feel small. You know, like when someone first explained to me that the universe is probably infinite and I couldn't sleep for days after hearing that. It horrified me. Like, I can't make any sense of that. I can't unravel it. Like, how? what do I mean in that context? And now, as an adult, I'm really comforted by that. You know, like my sense of self-importance as a child was really elevated. And now as an adult, I'm yearning for those kind of conceptions that humble me and that make me feel like the weight is lifted off my shoulders and that I no longer have to see myself as holding the weight of the world. Um, and that, that's a real shift that I've made. I'm looking for ways to feel small and to notice how amazing everything is around me. Enchantment is, in a sense, it's something that requires not just to be struck by the beauty of the Northern Lights, but something that we can cultivate by deliberate attention. When we come back, I want to ask Catherine more about how we can transform our ability to be enchanted. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I am Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. So Catherine, I've been thinking about this book too. I live in New York City. The book definitely talks a lot about the importance of being outside and nature and connecting with the names of birds and plants and things. And that's something that has felt to me sort of an unreachable in New York City. But right now, there's a, an owl <laughs> loose in Central Park right now. Yes, the famous owl. His name is Flacco. He escaped from the zoo about six weeks ago. 
but he stayed in Central Park. And for a while, they were trying to recapture him and nothing they were doing was working. Meanwhile, he was, you know, pooping and like giving other signs of, I know what I'm doing out here. I'm all set, guys. I'm Flacco. I'm good. I'm going to live in Central Park. <laughs> so eventually they're like, all right, I guess Flacco's going to just live in the park now. We're not going to try to recapture him. He seems to be fine. And it's given me because I try to make myself go for a walk even when I don't want to, but it's given me something to do. Like I'm looking for Flacco when I go on these walks and I haven't found him yet, but one of these days I'm going to see him in a tree. That sort of point of focus has helped me and exponentially increase my excitement and enchantment about being in the park because I could see Flacco. Is that how we sort of increase this? Do we set our mind to, I'm going to notice something deliberately today or, or do you keep yourself completely open? How does it work for you? It's such a good example, actually, because I one of the things I always say is that to find enchantment, you follow the lines of your curiosity. And Flacco is like a mass curiosity event, isn't he? Like everyone just wants to have eyes on him. He sounds amazing. I would totally be there <laughs> looking for him if it was up to me. And I, yeah, it's that sense of like, what are you drawn to and what excites you? And then I love the way that people have made meaning around this owl. Like people are using him to talk about freedom and escape and what they would do if they had their day in the sun, you know, and there's been this sort of attitude projected onto him that he's sort of, you know, he's quite sassy, isn't right. he? a sassy owl, as owls go. But that's exactly what I mean. And, you know, there are, I mean, I, I visited New York City in the summer and I found so many things to be completely fascinated by. I've always loved those great big outcrops of rock in the middle of Central Park. Like they've got no place being there, but there they are. And, and suddenly right in the middle of the city, you feel like you're in this raw space where the earth is rising up, you know, beneath your feet. And I find that completely extraordinary. It's funny you say that because my little brother, this is 20 years ago. Gosh, more than he came to visit me. And I had, we're going to go to the top of the Empire State Building. We're going to do this. I had 18 things for him to do. I was not a parent yet, but he's a much younger sibling. Anyway, we got to Central Park and those big rocks in Central Park, he was good. Like six hours climbing on those rocks while I'm like tapping my foot and looking at my watch. We have an appointment here. We're going here. I don't have time for wonder. Right. Right. Sort of was like, oh, this is it. He's happy. I brought him to New York for him to experience things that made him happy and excited. This rock, which I've never thought about before. We're going to be here all day while he climbs on this rock, but who cares? And that was a huge, you know, thunderbolt for me. But just interesting you mention it because I was blind to how interesting they were. But an eight-year-old child was like, whoa, and just thought they were amazing. Yeah, I find them mind-blowing. And I you know, it's these things that sometimes we need fresh eyes to help us to see them. I would want to know, you know, what kind of rocks they are, when they formed, what that means, like what the process by which those rocks got there and how and what did that landscape look like before it was so built up? I mean, someone told me recently the sort of main avenue running up Manhattan is actually really ancient and was used long before the, you know, the British the British game, the British and Dutch game. Yeah, it's, all of those things, you know, they take us into our recent and deep past. They make links between people across millennia. They link us deeply to nature and they show us this earth that is rolling underneath our feet outside of our control and outside of all the building we do around it. And yeah, that to me, that gets right to the heart of enchantment. Another way I was thinking about this book is, well, we live in um, the suburbs, but there's some forest around us. I mean, woods, really, trees. But there's deer who come. <laughs> Another way you've downgraded your 
human tree. Well, well, I was like, we live in the forest. Let's be honest. There's a train that runs right there. There's some trees, but there is a family of deer and our kids have named all the deer. So there's Fenlin the deer and he's kind of the bully deer. We, we watch them and we know these deer and we have stories about them. And then recently uh, we got a little chip for our cat that goes on our collar. It's not an implant. It just sits on our collar and we can watch where she goes at night. She wanders and then sometimes we go walk her route. She goes a mile every night. She walks all over. I think that sometimes animals can do this for us and our children. What is our cat's life like? What is Fenland's life like? The deer who comes by? What kind of schedule are they operating on? And it connects you to a world that is at once immediate but bigger somehow than the world of hunching over your phone. But I think to give a, a different example as well, I mean, the other thing that I find in New York City that I always go to see when I'm there is Monet's Water Lilies. The first time I went to see that, I'd gone, my dad lived in New York for a while and I'd gone to visit him in the summer and he'd said, take the train in from Long Island, you know, take the train in and, and like go and go and see some museums or something. And I'd seen a hundred photos of that, you know, of that painting and I'd never thought it was very interesting at all. I always thought it was a rather polite piece of work that was nothing to do with me. Like I wanted to see more radical stuff than that. I remember walking into that room the first time and I mean, it's enormous, but also noticing how spacious the brushwork is and how the color speaks to each other and clashes against itself and creates something entirely different to its component parts. And having this moment of like, I get it. Like I get, like I felt this direct line of communication with the artist, but also with all the other people who loved it. And it was a real kind of peak moment for me of just encountering this, the force of this piece of art. And I took my son back to see it this time and he was not interested in the leaf, but I was sure that it had to have a massive impression on him because it had such a massive impression on me, but it made no dent in him because he hadn't seen like other examples of it. He had no expectation of it. And so he was just like, yeah, yeah, it's a nice painting. Well, that's fine. You know, and he was off out to look at something more interesting. That's an interesting data point, I think, as a parent, as we talk about the Disney's or the like built city of wonder that you're going to go to. Wonder is very individual, right? What makes other people light up in that synapse level it's not the same for everyone and you can share your wonder with other people, but different things spark it for different people, which is really interesting. Yeah, it's definitely subjective. And actually, that's no bad thing because it is this very personal, intimate relationship that you foster over a long period of time. One of our problems, I think, is that we're waiting for people to, to hand it to us. And so much about our culture tells us like these are the things you're supposed to feel excited by and the other things are a bit silly and I think that's actually one of the things that really undermines our ability to feel authentically feel it and not just to kind of enact it because this is the moment when we're supposed to feel great about everything and yeah I you can't be didactic about enchantment it is something it's a relationship you have to create for yourself and have to nurture over the course of your life We've been talking to Catherine May. Her brand new book is Enchantment, Awakening Wonder in an Anxious Age. Catherine, tell us where our listeners can find you and your book. 
You can find my book in all good bookstores and you can find me probably the best place these days, I think, is at my Substack, which is katherinemay.substack.com. So I write and where I write three newsletters a fortnight, which I realize is an odd rhythm to write a newsletter in, but that's the one that works for me. All of our <laughs> listeners are Googling, how long is a fortnight right now? You don't say no. fortnight. What? Well, we do not say fortnight. It's two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> two weeks. Okay, guys. Two weeks is a fortnight. Don't tell us we didn't ever teach you anything. Honestly, how is it that we're supposed to speak a common language? There's <laughs> so few words we have in common. I know. Not even close. Then next you're going to tell us how many stones something is, and then we're really going to be in trouble. Can I tell everyone about my podcast as well? Because if they love yours, they might like mine. Um, I've got a podcast called How We Live Now, where we talk about the kind of clean questions that coming up for all of us and I invite lots of different guests to, to share their view on it. I really enjoy doing that. One of my favorite things right now. Fantastic. We will link to all of those places in our show notes to make it very easy to find Catherine. Thank you for coming back. Official friend of the podcast, Catherine May. It was so great talking to you again. Yay! <laughs> well, I'm delighted to be invited back and I, I hope to come back another time when I've managed to write another book. You never know. Absolutely. <laughs> You're first on our list. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.